If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Um, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. Well, our first month of 2023 has came and gone. It's kind of crazy that time um, just flies. I hope everyone's year is starting out healthy, happy, and most importantly, secure. Um, as a reminder, I just want to remind all of our listeners that we have two outlets of listeners out there. We have our radio show on Voice America, and we have had some really amazing guests. Um, last week, we had Ken Foster, who um, we recorded that on a Tuesday instead of a Friday. So if our regular listeners are out there today, you can go to Voice of America and look for and security for all. Um, you can find that on any place that you listen to your podcast, but um, he is the senior VP of Fleet Corps, and he's a really awesome. That was a great show, so go check that out. Um, again, we have another outlet of listeners on LinkedIn Live, and we welcome all of our LinkedIn Live listeners. If you have any questions, just drop those in the chat. We'd love to um, hear from you all as well. As many of you all know, um, I'm the CEO of FutureCon Events. We host cybersecurity conferences all over North America, and we are we're already. Um, ramped up and we just finished our first month of events. We had three events back to back in January. The first one was virtual, which was great, but then we were back out in Dallas and Los Angeles and it seems like things are finally getting back to normal. People are coming back out to our live events. They were coming out last year. It took a little more coaxing people to come out and convincing and now it looks like people are just registering and ready to get back to normal. We run all of our events in a hybrid mode and we stream everything um, We stream everything live for our loyal attendees um, that may be remote or stuck in their office because that's just the nature of their job being a cybersecurity practitioner. So we try to provide all that great content at our events to um, listeners that may want to tune in and catch all of our great speakers. Next week, we are heading out to Chicago. That is going to be a very packed event. If you're in the Chicago area, check it out. Um, love to see you there. Then we're off to DC, Detroit, and then Montreal. So we're excited to head over to Canada. You guys can check out our events at futureconevents.com. You can DM me on LinkedIn. Love to have you. We've had so many attendees and speakers and sponsors that have found out about our events through this um, podcast. So we're really grateful that we have this platform to um, talk about what we have coming up. Um, it's been really great this year. Our events are great. We have the best expert speakers, amazing sponsors who are showcasing their products and services. So with that being said, I have another great expert speaker on the show today. And shamefully, when pre-show, I forgot to ask him how to properly say his last name. So I'm going to take a long shot at this, but I have Alan 
uh, Nackmanny on the show. He is just recently, he was in uh, Top Cyber News Magazine as a 40 under 40. He is a three-time CISO, thought leader, speaker, board member, advisor, um, chief, you know, he's chief information officer. He's done all kinds of things. Currently, he is running Azine Consulting. So we have a lot to talk about and um, happy to have him on the show. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you for having me. Um, how, so, how bad so did a, I mess up your last no, name? No, the last name you got perfect. Okay. Truthfully, the last name you got, the first name is alone, like by myself. Uh, alone. I, <laughs> of course, that would be what I would do. It's, no, it's that's okay. Alone. No worries. I'm very used to it. So um, welcome to the show. Um, I know we've kind of chatted, you know, via LinkedIn for a while now. So I'm happy that we finally found the time to get you on the show and we both could make this happen. Congratulations for being in um, that magazine. Tell us a little bit about that magazine and how, you know, tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got to where you are now and how you ended up in that fabulous magazine because it was not, it looked like it was a global, the other people that were in that magazine. So yeah, so the, the magazine is, is really an incredible magazine. It's, I, I love reading it because um, it's a magazine that tries to stay neutral. They try to stay away from any political issue or, or geopolitics. They 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 really try to stay um, almost like Switzerland. It's it's produced out of Berlin. Uh, Ludmila runs it, and she does an amazing job. She does it all by herself. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it has even any like corporate sponsors or anything like that. Um, so it, it it does definitely have um, a lot of integrity. Um, and, and like you said, you know, it's, it's really something global and, and has, um, a view from, from around the world. There's, there's people from Singapore, Asia, Africa, there were, there's some really great leaders there. Um, and I, I highly recommend the magazine in general. Um, I'm working on an article for them for their, uh, next issue, um, around aviation security. So that should be, uh, pretty interesting. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like I said, Ludmila does an amazing, amazing job with it. So for those of you who haven't read it, haven't heard about it, um, Cyber News Now uh, magazine is, is incredibly um, beneficial. Um, that being said, just talking about um, cybersecurity, as you said, I've been a, a CISO uh, three times now. Um, I always ask myself, or when I see somebody who's, who wants to be a CISO, I always ask them, you know, why? Why do you want to be a CISO? Because it's definitely not easy. Um, as far as how I how I came into this, truth be told, I, I fell into cybersecurity. Um, I've been doing tech my whole life. And when I say my whole life, I mean, as a teenager, my summer jobs were doing migrations um, off of mainframes and onto PCs and using IBM's emulator for mainframes to still connect to the old data. Um, doing, doing some conversions from microfilm to the big laser discs. Um, for those who remember those, well, I feel like I'm really dating myself here. Um, that's okay. That's, you're 40 under 40. So you're not <laughs> dating yourself. Again, I was, I was a teenager doing all this stuff. Um, and I ran, it's, it's funny because I, as a teenager, I actually ran the teams that did the integrations just because I, I was gaining so much experience. And when, you know, we did this, like the microfilm and the, um, laser disc stuff, you know, I did for like um, major hospitals out of Boston. I did it for the U.S. Post Office for their records. Um, so that was always, you know, kind of my fun and my passion. 
Um, I served in the Israeli military for three years, and then I did my reserve duty um, as a um, special response unit police officer in Tel Aviv. Um, came back to the States after I finished my master's in Israel um, and really fell into financial technology. I was doing a lot of ultra low latency, high frequency trading um, back in 2011, I think we broke the record. Um, I was the VP of technology for a company by the name of uh, Burststream, where we did normalized data and basically aggregating multiple different um, um, financial data feeds into um, one data feed that was normalized. We could clean the ticker symbols and we could do all that. We were sitting there and, and measuring each piece of fiber, calculating, should we go with fiber? Should we go with copper? And, and really doing... I mean, we broke the record. We got it, you know, from the from the feed handoff all the way into your memory buffer if you were doing an algo trade, you know, in under 600 nanoseconds, which at the time was unheard of. We were using FPGA and some cutting edge technology. Fast forward, I joined a um, market maker on Wall Street and they ended up getting hacked and they got hacked and one of the principals came up to me and said, hey, guess what? You have military experience. You used to be in law enforcement. You're our new CISO. Congratulations. Go figure it out. And that's really what I did. I, I banged my head against the desk and I figured it out. I found out, you know, how do we do this? And then we went from a shop that did, at the time, $1.5 million with Checkpoint to a shop that, do we go to Palo Alto at the time? Do we look at other technologies? What are we doing for Endpoint? What are we doing for MDM? What are all these different technologies that, you know, 15 years ago, or maybe a little bit less, 12 years ago, weren't really top of mind or something that we spoke about in tech. And um, that that was kind of my almost push into the deep end and, and you better swim and figure it out. Um, moved on from there to a small startup um, at the time by the name of WeWork. Yeah, I would um, love to be, I, I've always been very curious about WeWork <laughs> and I see you were in New York with that company, but aren't they based out of San Francisco? So no, so WeWork at the time, at least, was based out of uh, New York. There were com we did have conversations about moving into California, or I think Adam also at the time also wanted to move it to Miami, potentially, really wherever he could surf and, and, and do best by that. Um, so I was employee number 200 there, shared a glass wall with Adam for a little bit. Um, definitely some, some interesting conversations there. Um, um, but I, I was... I ran the entire tech team from negotiating contracts with, you know, Google, um, ISPs around the world, running the help desk, running the, the AV team. We produced our own um, shows. The AV team also handled all the conference room tech and all of that stuff. And of course, um, information security. Um, and I ended up taking on information security as, as the company grew because a, I enjoyed it, and and it's so incredibly important, especially with a company that we knew was going to um, try an IPO is a good way of putting it because that kind of blew up. Um, but we were putting things in place. I mean, back in 2014 for for an IPO because I mean that was that was the just the strategy of the company. Um, grew my team on the help desk, you know, to over 250 people. Um, grew some of the some of the other teams as well. Um, it was definitely a challenging experience. It was a lot of hard work, um, but well worth it at the end of the day. I think that was something that was definitely a lot of fun. Um, 
if if those of who are in a startup and or think about joining a startup, you know, if you think that that when you get to a certain role or a certain level, you're not going to be there painting the walls or doing whatever needs to be done, you're 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 very wrong. And I think that that's something when we talk about startups that people tend to forget is that your title might have a C in it or a VP or a director or whatever it is. When there's work to be done, you're you're in it with everybody else and you're doing it. Something that we don't always see at kind of larger companies that are able to hire on the staff to do it are sometimes not bootstrapping it or, or just are able to afford um, a, another way of doing it. Um, moved on from um, WeWork to a company by the name of Bromium. Um, Bromium ended up getting sold off to HP. So those of you who are familiar with HP Wolf Security, that used to be Bromium, um, took on a little bit of a different role. That was my first time with a security vendor and it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning. Um, took on some customers, Fortune, mostly Fortune 10s, um, some major banks, um, some credit card companies, um, and really helped them protect their environment. Bromium is a solution that's also used in a lot of government agencies. Um, so bringing in security for organizations that can't afford to be hacked and are willing to take a hit on a little bit of performance, but then how do we deploy it? You know, one of the banks we deployed it to over 50,000 um, endpoints. So planning, working with their C-level executives, working with their analysts, understanding their internal red tape and their bureaucracies and whatever, you know, when, when do they need to submit the ticket so that we can meet our deadlines and, and a mix of managing the account, managing the personalities, managing um, the project so that we meet all the deadlines and of course, um, helping them get you know get to where they need to go for the um, for the project. So I think today it would probably be called customer success. Um, but that's that's when I think of customer success. What I what I view. Um, move I, from I there. actually remember Bromium <clears throat> quite well because this is my second company and my past company. They did a lot of our events, so. It, it's always it's always fun to hear these old. I age, speaking about aging yourself. You know, I've been doing what I've been doing for like twenty plus years. So um, yeah, I, I definitely remember Bromium. You know, being you know being just a new company, being out there at trade shows. You know, selling oh, for sure. stuff. So uh, yeah. Bromium has to be one of the best companies I've ever worked for. Um, my manager there is somebody I, I to this day is probably the best manager I've ever had in my life. Um, and I, every chance I get to remind him that I, I definitely tell him. And is um, he with, um, so who bought Bromium out? Who did you say? HP. HP did. Okay. He's st he is still with HP. Okay. Um, I moved from there to another vendor by the name of Cyberbit. Cyberbit. Yep, yeah. And I remember Cyberbit very, very well. Hey. So yep. Go. Um, yeah. It's, so, it's like going who... down memory lane here. So I love hearing <laughs> that. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, Cyberbit, um, is the daughter company of Elbit Systems, a defense contractor um, out of Israel. I think the defense, Elbit is based out of the US officially. Um, huge, huge, multi-billion dollar defense contractor. Um, and what they did was they basically took the technologies that they were using uh, on the defense side and commercialized them with this daughter company. Um, when I was there, I was the um, principal technical person in the US. Well, not being just a technical person, you know, that, that means getting a screwdriver and going into the racks or talking to a CISO or talking to, 
you know, an analyst who's the fingers on the keyboard of how do you configure something or how do you do something? Um, Cyberbit was very big on the OT security and I think a little before its time uh, when it comes to that stuff. Um, so we helped, you know, some, some water districts um, protect the water and protect, you know, make sure our drinking water that comes out of our tap stays secure. Um, we helped some airports, which was as an AV geek, um, something incredibly important and, and fun for me at least. Um, you know, walking around, touring an airport with their CISO and their CIO, hearing what keeps them up at night and, and how do we secure it and, and what do we do is, is always um, enlightening. Um, and then, of course, um, Cyberbit also has their um, SOC um, training product, which I think they still have. I think they closed out the OT product, but their SOC training product. You know, they, they deployed it in uh, Miami-Dade College. They deployed it at U, you know, University of Texas in San Antonio. So, uh, you know, whether it means upgrading that, building it, selling it, supporting it, anything that had to be done, boots on the ground in the U.S. Um, was basically me, um, which was very enlightening and, and, and a lot of fun. You know, people forget that CISOs actually enjoy some time doing the tech work and getting our hands dirty. Um, and from there, I moved for, to a company called uh, National Holdings or National um, Securities Corporation based out of Boca Raton, officially headquartered out of New York um, as their CISO. That was the third time I was a CISO. Um, compliance, 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 especially within the financial industry. Um, I think assets under management were about 60 million for those who are familiar with the sizes. Um, so it was very interesting, very fun to do, um, great company. The company ended up getting sold off to uh, B. Riley Financial, um, helping them. I dealt with um, some breaches there, um, which is always, it's, it's always curious to see how a company not only deals with breaches, but what the customer's reaction is. And I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of us would be surprised with how customers react to a breach. So that's always um, eye-opening to me. Um, and then I got a call one day from, you know, if you remember Bromium, I'm sure you remember Gregory. Um, Gregory called me and asked me to come join him at AppViewX um, mm -hmm. and help them with what they were doing there around uh, certificate lifecycle management. Um, joined there, was uh, the field CISO, was there for about two and a half years. Really great company, really good industry, um, definitely going in the right direction. Um, you know, I think I think PKI as an industry and, and just what people are are doing um, around it is um, a little misunderstood. I don't think people understand how how important PKI is, what the potential of PKI can be, and if you're not managing your PKI right, what the disastrous results can be. Um, while working there, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who runs tech for a um, telco in the mid south region. Um, and he said, you're not going to believe this. We had an outage for two days because we had a shared calendar reminder over when to replace the certificates. But when we did an upgrade, no, everybody forgot to um, subscribe to the new calendar. And there was an outage because of that for two days with their customers. And their customers are doctor's offices and law firms and whatever. And obviously small businesses, but it still hurts. And it's still something, you know, that, that's an outage that can still cost a lot of money. And people don't necessarily understand the importance of, you know, a little certificate, a little something. Um, so that's putting aside the, the IAM stuff and, and, and the potential that you have with PKI. 
Um, I left AppUX a few months ago and I started my own business by the name of Azen Consulting. So, I mean, all that's incredibly impressive. So congratulations you. on all your success. I, I talked to a lot of CISOs that have gone from, and you have been all over the place. You know, you've been on the vendor side and then you've been on the enterprise side and now you're, you know, running your own company. How have you, because CISOs are kind of like the, the industry celebrities that get the red carpet treatment, you know, anywhere they go, um, what, what, what differences, like, are there some things that you miss from, you know, being on the enterprise side versus the, you know, vendor side, and now you are your own entity? What, what, what differences are you seeing, um, from, from your perspective of other CISOs in the industry that might be working for a bank or someone that you're now going to try to sell? So that's a really good question. Um, I will say that I think vendors get a bad rap in general. Um, you know, at the end of the day, vendors aren't there. The, the, the idea isn't that they're going to build something that they can sell. The idea is that they're going to solve a problem. And a lot of vendors, you know, look at an issue and look at, at, at something that they're doing as how are we going to help companies stay secure? And I think that that's something that gets lost in the sales process and in the whole communication of like, we're going to solve this problem for you. Um, often not, not, not only CISOs, but everybody kind of on the customer side tends to look at things as, um, oh, great. Now they're going to pitch me on this, or I really need this tech, but I don't want to deal with, um, you know, the vendor or whatever it is. I think it's important to keep in mind that, that the vendor is, you know, a, of course they're a business and, and they, they need a certain profit and whatever it is. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're really trying to just solve a problem. And if you, you can see it with vendors, there are a lot of vendors that, um, you'll see when they're trying to solve problems and when their security team or when the development team is working on security issues that um, are, are not just, you know, the pressing issue or something that they can collect the most amount of money for, but really um, something that, that will help solve a problem. Um, and, and also you see that with, um, of course, vendors who open their stuff up as open source and, and provide the support on top of that. From the customer's perspective, you know, I think, I think CISOs are incredibly misunderstood within the organization. I think, and, and it's, it's a huge problem. You know, if you look at their team um, that, that usually reports up into the CISO, they'll respect the CISO because they have usually a lot of technical background or they're able to explain kind of the, the, the issues or whatever it is that they're going through to their team and include them. Um, but on the, on the um, executive side, it's it's sometimes really hard for CISOs to kind of blend in, especially ones that come in from a very heavy technical background, coming into the conversations and, and trying to, you know, the CISOs are people. I mean, a lot of us get excited about tech and get excited about solutions. And here's how we're going to mitigate this risk. You know, being able to convey that to a room that's a, that, that's willing to listen, I think is, is definitely a challenge and something that I think a lot of CISOs um, have trouble with. Um, and then on my side, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting started, but I really enjoy one of, one of the things that I'm offering, um, my customers and that I'm working with a few customers on is what I'm calling the reverse of customer success. You know, I, I said, you know, vendors get a bad rap, but at the same time, some of them deserve it. Um, and often they'll sell something that they don't necessarily have instead of, you know, adopting the, if you build it, they will come, they adapt the 
if they come, we'll build it and we'll kind of string them along. And it, you can see sometimes that um, some vendors struggle with delivery and dates and commitments, um, but then they'll hire a customer success team to kind of help the customer along and, and you know be a project manager and help it and whatever. And the customer is really left almost defenseless. Um, I come in as, as an outside uh, resource to, to really help the, the customer in this case, you know, get what they paid for, achieve the success. Because at the end of the day, you know, they didn't buy the solution so that they could just, you know, check a box or do something. They bought the solution because they're looking to mitigate a risk, meet a certain compliance by a certain date. There, there's, there's factors that go into all of this that vendors sometimes forget. Oh, okay, it'll take us another month. It's not a big deal. Sometimes it is a big deal. Sometimes there's fines associated with it or regulatory requirements or whatever it is. So being there as an outside party lets me have a little bit of a more frank um, conversation with the vendor of explaining these things and, and, and working together to kind of meet the requirements that were initially um, laid out and, and everybody kind of signed on. Um, but then I get to walk away so that the customer can keep their relationship with the vendor and continue to work. I get to basically be the bad guy and then disappear and let them stay the good cop and, and, and really have um, a, fl a flourishing relationship. Um, and I like that. I, I, I like the idea of, you know, helping, helping my customers, getting them to where they need to go and, and achieving what they need to achieve. Well, because it's so, I, you know, at all of our events, we do, you know, about 30, if you count some, a couple of virtual events that we throw in there and we always wrap it up with the CISO panel and one and it's generally in the middle of the vendor room so we have our vendors there and we could never have our events without our vendors because they are the ones that support and pay for the events so a really important question is ask the CISOs is you know you have a room full of vendors you know how are these vendors going to get in front of you and generally it's the exact same answer from all CISOs you know knowing my needs knowing me like last week Sajit from um, 7-Eleven the CISO 7-Eleven was our keynote speaker and his comment was I had a vendor say hey do you do more than 10 million dollars a year I mean he's the CISO of 7-Eleven and he's like maybe in one store, you know, so, right. you know, so it's just vendors do get a bad rap when they don't do their research, you know, and it, it is interesting because we have some vendors that, you know, they, they do our events because they're obviously meeting CISOs and meeting the right people that are the decision makers as attendees. And that is them putting themselves out there and knowing what that customer does besides the other person that's sitting there that doesn't know anything and they're on their laptop all day and not really, you know, paying attention to the attendees and then going and telling marketing, well, this wasn't a very great show. So there's, there's two types of vendors, you know, there's, that's, the, that's you know, so true. That is, I mean, and again, it's, it's the, the, our vendors. And I feel like there's a lot of vendors that, that give the good vendors a, a bad rap. And I, I you're a hundred percent right there because there's some really awesome vendors that have amazing tech, have amazing people working with them. Um, you know, I've, I've been able to do a lot of what I needed to do because I've had vendors that were partners, not even just, just, just a vendor that was selling me something, but we worked together to get things done. I can, I can give you a great example. I mean, when I was um, at um, WeWork, we wanted to do, we were looking for ways to augment um, the cost. And one of the things I thought of was, you know what, we have Checkpoint. I had a really good relationship with Checkpoint at the time. Amazing relationship. Some of the, the smartest people I know have worked or do work for Checkpoint. 
Um, and I had a dinner with um, their president at the time. Great, great dinner. And I said to him, look, I want to be able to have a flash screen. Everybody who comes to a WeWork, just literally, you'll pay for all of my infrastructure. And I'll put a commercial that says, WeWork internet powered by Checkpoint. They'll go there at some point, they'll move on to an, another office or whatever it is. The first call that they're going to need a firewall from is going to be to you. He loved the idea. We ended the, the deal ended up not coming through, but part of that deal was, you know, how do we do pricing? Because we also wanted to sell some of Checkpoint's products to um, our customers. We wanted to resell it in a package that just like WeWork charges per desk. How do we charge per person on all of these things? Again, the deal, the whole deal then ended up not going through, but Checkpoint's Infinity product is now the result of, of that conversation. So when you have a vendor that's willing to listen, that's willing to work with you, that's willing to do all of those things, you know, not only are they a partner and, and, and somebody that I think you should, you know, work really hard to sustain that relationship, even as the customer, and not say, hey, I'm the customer, let them chase me, but, you know, work on it from both sides because they're your partner. They got your back. And that's incredibly important. You know, amazing things can happen on both sides, both for the vendor and for the customer. Well, I agree. And we have worked with Checkpoint forever and they have some amazing, amazing speakers. And, you know, Checkpoint is great. We love working with Checkpoint. But, it, you know, and even as I say that there's some good vendors and there's, you know, vendors that are still developing and learning, there's also some CISOs that, you know, without putting names. I, I have incredible respect for CISOs, but I've mentioned this once or twice on the show. There are some CISOs that I have not worked with that will put some pretty, pretty, um, uh, not so nice stuff out on LinkedIn, you know, telling vendors to leave them alone, stop calling me. But yet this one CISO works for a company that is a payment processing company that I get them telemarking me all the time, asking me if I'll change my, you know, processing for my payment, you know, where we process our payments. So, you know, it's like, come on. I mean, that, that just, and there was, there was a salesperson that did call him out on that. She'll probably never get his business, but I was really happy she did that, you know, because it is all, it is the circle of life. You know what I mean? So. Absolutely. I, but, I do think that there's a little bit of a, um, a gap right now with with some CISOs. There, we have some amazing, amazing CISOs out there, and I think that it's it's incredibly you know for those who want to be a CISO, I think it's incredibly important to think about what you bring to the table, not from a, a technical perspective. You know, I can deploy all these firewalls, or I can deploy this endpoint security product, or whatever it is. But that that's not the, that's the job of a principal engineer or principal architect, being able to to look at you know the whole picture and and how do we secure the organization. I think there's a misconception when it comes to CISOs in general on how business oriented that role really is. You know, it's, it's a role that if we look at our history and I, I put an article about this out um, a few weeks ago, you know, it came out of, out of IT. IT security is what it was originally called. You know, now it's called cybersecurity or, or information security and chief information security officer, obviously. Um, I've actually seen chief cybersecurity officer recently as well. Um, but with that chief title comes a lot more business mindset than, than I think people understand and, and people think, you know, being able to present to the board, you don't go to the board and you just say, hey, 
these systems are compromised. It's going to cost us $10 million to, to, you know, reduce the risk. So that's how much my budget needs to be. Um, I actually, funny, we're talking about vendors. I had a, I heard a vendor about two or three weeks ago actually say, um, oh, you know, as long as we're talking about security, budgets are unlimited. Companies will pay whatever, whatever it is to secure. That's not true. There's proper ROI models that exist out there. You know, one of the things that we do at Azen is, is we help boards, we help CISOs educate their board and they bring us in to have a conversation with their board on cybersecurity from a financial math perspective. You know, at the end of the day, every company that's for profit, I'm not talking about non-for-profits, but for profits, their number one goal is to make a profit. That's, that's in the definition of a for-profit company. They have to produce as much profit as they can. What does that mean? That means that, hey, if the risk is higher than the reward, you don't go for it. Um, and, and that's just how it is. And, and people seem to, to miss that part, that there is actual math that, 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 that exists behind this. I think a great example of that, though, less still under the information security umbrella, maybe a little bit less under the, kind of the hacking side of things. But if we look at what happened to Southwest, you know, I saw a great... Um, commentary about how over the years nobody could really prove um the roi that that existed and needed to exist to um make make the upgrades to this environment to this solution so that something that recently happened would not happen the roi models exist there somebody may have not known how to present it and how to do it but that's that's part of a CISO's job how do you you know business continuity planning if there's an outage how do we make sure that you know that outage doesn't occur. How much does it cost us? Is it going to cost us more than the outage? <coughs> Excuse me. All of that has to go into account and has to really be part of the larger conversation. So I think I think that's that's something when it comes to CISOs, people don't really understand that a lot of the CISOs conversations are almost like an insurance adjuster. Hey, what is the risk of, of somebody falling and, and getting hit in the head? And how much is it going to cost me in medical bills? And, and that's how much I'm going to pay to fix it. That's that's really what it is. I mean, this whole notion that that we all have unlimited budgets and we can you know do whatever we want as long as we show that you know something's unsecure doesn't exist. Um, and companies that run that way shouldn't shouldn't be running that way because a true CISO goes out there, educates their board, explains to them, here's you know here's how the ROI is calculated, here's how we decide the risk, here's how we got to that number. Okay, now the risk of, of all the risk, we put it all together, it's about $10 million a year. Dear Mr. Board, how much are you willing to, to allocate in order to secure this? And some boards might say, you know, maybe a little bit of a more old fashioned company might say, you know what, we like sleeping at night, we want to, we don't want to take on so much risk, we're willing to, to allocate 120%, we'll give you $12 million to secure it, go get it done we want to be able to sleep at night. A financial organization that's used to risk, that does trading, might be more comfortable with risk. And they could say, hey, you know what? We want 80%. Here's $8 million. Secure it as much as you can. And we'll roll the dice. And that's, that's, those are decisions that need to be made by the board, not by a CISO. And we're seeing the SEC actually come in and start to add some liability to board members on this for publicly traded companies. So I think I think a true CISO definitely helps their board, educates their board, and helps them make educated decisions. When do you think, um, and when I say woke, I'm definitely not talking about woke in the context of, you know, everything Got else. It. But when do you think the 
woke moment was for boards and the do you think it's the past few years when we've seen so many you know huge you know um breaches that now boards are taking you know um their security posture more serious do you think it's like where do you think that that evolved and you think like today uh, of course today is different than yesterday but um when do you think in the past few years that boards are really taking this serious? So I think it's, evol it's, something, it's something that's still evolving. I don't think every board has woken up um, and, and, and realized that this is important. I can tell you that more recently when I was a CISO and I had to disclose to the board that we had a breach, I had a board member who... It's embarrassing to say, but the board member said to me, I don't understand. How did they get in? We just put in a new security system in the office. Did they come through a window? Like they couldn't grasp the virtual side of, of they came in and, and took the records or the, the, the notion just didn't make sense to them. So, you know, I think, I think what's going on, I think the Equifax was a big breach because of insider trading that happened after it and the SEC took notice. I think the the whole what's going on with kind of the the Uber CISO and what what happened there is also a big um, wake up call. And I think in general the SEC's you know proposed regulations that that board members need to understand cybersecurity. I mean it's basically it's it's basically um, Sarbanes Oxley or SOC compliance, but instead of being applied to financial, it's being applied to cyber. And it's it's in my opinion it's incredibly welcomed. Um, I was going to write a book about this with my brother. My brother just doesn't agree with me on the politics side of things, and he doesn't think it's welcome. But, you know, it's it's in, it's incredibly important because I think without this regulation and without all of what's happening now, boards aren't going to care. It's exactly the the Enron and WorldCom of, of what happened way back when, when people had two sets of books, because there was no requirement to have one set of books. There was no requirement that you know, you would you have to have somebody who understands how to read a, a balance sheet or a financial statement on a board. Now it's a requirement. Now that's something that you're seeing. You know, you're going to start seeing the SEC or, or boards require that one of the board members understands cybersecurity, understands technology, and knows knows what it what is out there and what what needs to happen in order to protect the records of the company, their their, their patents, their secret sauce, and their customers. Um, so that I think I think we're still waking up, but I think you know between those those incidents and I think the colonial pipeline was one also that kind of woke people up because the critical infrastructure, but it was a privatized company. I think that also kind of caused some some gears to click uh, in in a lot of people's heads as well. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we do have a comment from uh, Doug uh, Hornaday. He said, "Do you use or recommend any particular tools for character?" characterizing and managing organizational risk and security posture on an ongoing basis? Um, that's a great question. Um, in my experience, what I've done is I've actually um, tasked, I've actually stolen people from the industry of um, insurance and brought adjusters that, that knew how to measure um, risk for life insurance or for issues like that. Um, I didn't go with any tools per se, um, more, more along, um, just somebody with the experience and how they did it there. So can't really give you a recommendation there. Sorry. Um, but going back to just the different breaches and, you know, I still think there is a stigma, you know, you tell someone, you know, what do you do? Um, I'm, 
I'll just tell people I'm in cybersecurity. Oh, you must be busy, you know, like, so there still is that stigma of people not understanding the risk and just, you know, closing your eyes, closing your ears and hoping it doesn't happen to you, you know, so. Oh, without a doubt. But I think, you know, I think it's really important to remember, you know, we all take care of our cars and, and, you know, we accept that we might get into a car accident. Like we make sure that our cars are safe, secure, have seatbelts, have airbags, whatever it is, because that's a risk that might happen. You know, we all go to the doctor for our annual checkup and, and make sure that whatever it is, you know, we look into it so that we can take care of our health so that if, if we were to get sick, it wouldn't be so serious. You know, I think, I think people are, are going to wake up both on a personal perspective and on a corporate perspective of like, if I were to get hacked, how do I minimize it? Or if, if I do become a target, how do I minimize my exposure? Um, and not just how big the hack is. So it's, it's, it's an evolving mindset that I think is, is definitely there. Um, and, and somewhere that I think, you know, as, as an industry, we're going there. I also think that there's a lot of people that hear, oh, you're in cybersecurity. And, and my, my children's school is an example. Oh, you're in, you're in cybersecurity, you're in tech. Can you fix our computer in the classroom? <laughs> not, yeah. not really what I do. I'll take yeah. a look. And I did end up <laughs> fixing it. Um, but that, that's also, like I said, it came out of IT security. We are so much more than IT security. We're, in my opinion, we're a lot more compliance than, than security, but we're so many other things. I mean, I also ran as a CISO physical security. And, and how do we, when do we bring in a security guard, like a physical security guard? Should he be armed? Should he not be armed? What kind of badges should we use? What kind of IDs? All of these other things that people aren't even thinking about. And, and those are also things that are incredibly, incredibly important. I've had a lot of, um, you know, pen testers on the show and, you know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, just listening to their stories and just, just how easy it is to get by, you know, it's, it's, it's astounding really just, just some of the stories that I've heard on the show. So it's, and it's usually with banks which is very, very scary that it's, you know, of course it's with money, but, um, it's, it's definitely, you know, going back to the board. So, so when people are, you know, selecting their board members and now they have to find that person that is the tech person, is that, is it the CISO that's sitting on the board? Because it doesn't seem like the CISO would have that much time because uh, they're so busy that um, how are they finding who that board member would be? So it's not necessarily the CISO from that company. But we do have a lot of veteran CISOs in our industry that, that are able to, to become board members and able to kind of graduate to that level. You know, if you think about board members in general, usually it's people who are further in the career, they've done a lot, they want to be able to share their knowledge and experience with other companies. And that's, that's when they join um, the board. Similarly, I mean, we, we have a lot of CISOs that have, have gone to that level, have, have been there. And when we can learn from their experience, you know, that that's really who we want as, as those board members. That's, that's who we're looking for. I personally don't think it should be the CISO from the same company, although often you have the CEO and the CFO also sitting on the board. Uh, and that, that could be the case. That's not, in my opinion, it's not ideal because I think some kind of separation and some kind of disengagement to allow the CISO to um, get better feeling for the board's um, opinions and directions would be a little bit better. 
And just to clarify, when I was talking about CISOs earlier, that was one CISO. I am extremely, extremely lucky. I have so many great relationships with CISOs that take, you know, the time out of their day to come to our events, you know, very, you know, that work for very large corporations. So, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for the CISOs because, you know, I don't know how they get sleep and for them to be able to come and share their expertise with our attendees and come on our shows and you know like you being here today is you know i'm very lucky that i have that kind of relationship so i definitely hope i didn't offend any anyone that's listening to the show about that um and then there are a lot of people out there you know we we see well i've seen um you know lots of people that have grown into the CISO role that I've known, you know, because I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of people all over the country because we are in so many different markets that are going into that CISO role. What is your recommendation for, you know, the growth of somebody that's um, maybe at the manager level, you know, but really has that goal one day to be the CISO? What would your advice be for them? So it's, it's funny you say that because I recently, um, I read an article about this and, and it talked about, you know, understanding different tech and understanding different um, solutions and how to architect them and really concentrated on the tech side of things for that. My opinion is completely different. Learn how to read a balance sheet, understand, you know, attend your company's investor relation calls and your quarterly calls where they're disclosing information about the company and the plans um, to the to the shareholders, you know learn how your company's stock is affected by different things, learn how different systems may affect the business, learn about the learn about the actual business side of things for the company because I think that's <coughs> excuse me, I think that's incredibly important and and something that like I said is is almost diminished on the CISO side. When you go to a, a, a an executive meeting, whether it's a senior management or a board meeting, being able to define security and, and information security in a way that it affects the bottom line of the company and in a way that it can it can change where, where they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish, whether it's, you know, like I said, they, they said for this quarter or for this half or even for this year, this these are the goals for the company. This is what we're trying to achieve. And here's how cyber can can solve that. It's going to cost you a lot less. That that gets you a seat at the table. That's that's the conversation you want to be having as a CISO. That gets you the respect to later, here's the risk, what's the ROI number, you're, you're going to be able to get things done. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, it's um, so, so now kind of going back to your new company, so your goal, are you saying that you're kind of that third party person that would be in between your customer and helping them? Because there's so many vendors and even this year in 2023, we have seen so many new vendors that are doing our events and, and our attendees love that because it gives them the opportunity. Checkpoint's great. You know, Dark Trace is great, but they also like to look at all their other options and there's so many new technologies coming out there. And I try to, when our CISOs are at our event, especially our panelists, and I, and I ask them, I said, can you do me a favor and just please go visit our, at least our newer vendors and talk to them? And they love to, you know, it's awesome because they want to know what is up and coming. So um, are, how are you keeping yourself informed of the new technologies? And is that kind of your position of what you're doing with your customers? So 
we, we offer um, a bunch of different things. We offer um, security augmentation for your company. If you're a company, you know, if you have a CISO and you're, you're lacking in some staff, you, you need help with a few projects, you're, you're looking to get some stuff just done and, and completed and, and knock it out and, and you know, just, just get it done, really. Um, we come in and we help you. That's kind of gaining traction now, um, especially with all the layoffs, because unfortunately, companies are laying off to, to reduce their cost on their um, staffing and their liability, of course, of the overhead of employment. But at the same time, things, you know, there's still goals, there's still tasks, there's still things that need to get done in the company. So we're able to come in and help um, organizations with that. We're helping some companies that don't have a CISO and, and really get their, their um, cybersecurity posture uh, together. That, that's a big one. Like I said, we're doing the board education and the reverse customer success, but we're also helping um, actually vendors um, with their with their brand um, ambassadorship and, and and explaining maybe in a little bit of a, a less salesy way and a little bit of a, a mutual connection um, with this, with CISOs into why this might be the right solution. Um, I have a vast network of different vendors, different people who move to a new vendor that we'll talk to, have a conversation. Um, and often I'll think of a customer of like, or whether they're a customer of mine or not, somebody I know that it might make sense to introduce them to and just say, hey, you know what? Remember you told me a few years ago, we were at a CISO roundtable, whatever it was, you know, you were having this problem. How did you solve it? If you didn't, if you didn't give it an optimal solution or, or whatever it is, you know, here's, Here's how this this company is solving it. I think you should really take a look at them. Well, I guess it goes back to what Doug was asking when he was talking about, you know, different tools. How, because there are so many out there, how do you even narrow down where to start and where to begin? And is it just luck? You know, I mean, it's, it's, do you always go with the big guys? Some of the people can't afford to go with the big guy because they don't have that in their budget. So how do you monetize who you're going to use and, you know, where the risks are of trying something newer because it might be cheaper? So I, I'm a true believer in, I, I think this industry is built on relationships. And I think that, you know, somebody that, that I've worked with, if they're trying it and they're looking into it, it might be worth looking into. Um, I always love to see a demo of what it is and then throw it into a POC. And if it can solve what I'm trying to do, that's great. I was one of the first customers of um, a checkpoint management solution by the name of Indeni. Um, you know, they were brand new. And um, Zach, who, who used to, was I think one of the founders at the time, um, you know, we really connected on a personal level. It wasn't about the money. And I don't, I don't think even the solution was expensive. It was really about trying it out, making sure it could help us with what we were trying to achieve and, and just trying to accomplish. And sometimes the, the tool doesn't exist. Like, I got to tell you, you know, sometimes what you're trying to do just can't be done. And, and you have to think about how can I solve this myself? Um, I ended up, you know, when I was at WeWork, I was trying to solve a problem. I couldn't solve it. I ended up hiring a, a coder, an outside firm to, to solve it for me for $150,000 and, and, the problem went away. So don't be discouraged if it, if it doesn't exist, prioritize, you know, look at, look at your risk um, assessment and where, where your highest risk is. That's, that's always where I would start, you know, plug up the, the big holes and, and worry about the little ones a little bit later. Don't forget about them. Um, obviously get quick wins if they're quick to solve, but um, that that's really what, when I do things, what drives me is, is the, risk and how do I reduce the most amount of risk for the least amount of dollars? 
So we have about four minutes until we close and there's so much more that I wish we could have touched on, but um, what is now, what are your goals for this year with your, you know, congratulations on starting your own company. So what are your goals and um, what would your advice be to those out there to, um, you know, what should their goals be to stay ahead of any breaches? That's a really tough question to ask, but what would some general advice be to our audience? And what are your goals as a company? Of course. So I think this is going to be a really interesting year. I think people are underestimating um, the layoffs that are, that are happening right now and, and the economy. I think, you know, we're going to see that this year between Russia running out of money for this war, North Korea having to finance more things and, Iran, of course, is going to be busy, but we're also going to see a lot of private organizations um, utilize hacks. And I think we're actually going to grow um, as far as hacking in this upcoming year. I also think, you know, we're talking about small vendors and they're incredibly important and provide a lot. But I do think a lot of the vendors that, that are small that have been around are going to again end up being swallowed up by the big ones and, and probably absorbed into their stack and, and what their offering is. Just because I think a lot of large companies are going to be offering um, uh, you know, I can solve 80% of your problems. I'm, I'm 60% of what it's going to cost you to go to each one of the small ones. And and with cost savings and, and kind of the economy right now, I think that's going to take um, a big importance there. As far as AZEN, what we're looking to do is just grow organically. Um, like I said, we, we get a lot of fulfillment from helping our customers and, and helping see them to where they're trying to go. So I'm, I'm hoping that this year is just the year that we're going to organically grow and get there and, and really help people. Well, I think 2023 is going to be a great year, way better than 2022, um, because I do feel like we are, you know, just from what we're seeing trending, it does, it does seem like things, even though there's, you know, the, the economy doesn't say the same, but as a cybersecurity community, I feel like we are in a great place. And um, I, you know, alone, not Alan, not many. Did I get your last yes, name right? Um, again, congratulations on Azon Consulting. And, you know, thank you for being here. There was so much more I wanted to talk about because I know you're on um, the board of Cloud Security Alliance. We work with yes. them all around. Um, hopefully they'll have their party out at RSA again. They used to have their big party on yep. the first night. So maybe I'll see you out there because we have about 30 seconds until we close. So thank you for being on the show today. And I'll have to have you back again because we barely got to touch on anything I wanted <laughs> to talk about. So thanks um, alone for being here today. And um, thanks everybody else for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. Um, we hope that you have a amazing weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we will see you next week. Thanks everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.
Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.